Are you ready for the word? Father, we open our hearts, we open our ears, we open our spirit to hear from you. Lord, speak to us clearly, distinctly today. We won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said, amen. This morning, I want you to know that I have been praying for you. I have been interceding for you. And I'm praying that God's will and God's plan would be made manifested in your life. I am a firm believer that God has called us here in Galena, in this community, for such a time as this. It is not by accident that we are here. We are here for a plan and for a purpose. And I want to remind you that you are part of that plan. You are part of that purpose. I want to encourage you today to let you know that you are a part of a vision. It's much bigger than you are. That you are a part of what God is weaving here in Galena. God is going to get the glory. And God's going to show up. God's going to show out. We're not here for just an experience. And we're not here just for an event. We're here for the journey. And on the journey, God's going to get the glory. He's going to get the praise. And his name is going to be magnified here on 1500 East 7th Street. Amen? Do you believe that? We're on a journey. And I'm asking you that as we're on this journey, I'm asking you to come along with me. And I'm asking you to grow. And I'm asking you to learn. I'm asking you to expand your head, heart, hands, and feet. I'm asking you in this season that we're in, Let's grow together because I believe that's what a disciple is, is our head, our content, our heart, our experiences and relationships, our hands serving, our feet sharing. And I promise when we do that together as a community, it's hard to tell what God will do. But even though I'm confident that God is working among us and God is working in this church, I'm confident of that. Because I look across this audience and I see God's favor on your life. I see prayers being answered. I see people being encouraged. I see people being uplifted. I see people growing in their faith. I can't help but to be encouraged. But I also know as a pastor, I also know as I read the scriptures and study the scriptures that it's going to be a fight. Even though we're growing some of us have to grow to, some of us have to fight to grow. Some of us have to fight to go to church. Some of us have to fight to serve. Even though I'm confident that we are growing and I'm confident that the spirit is among us and the spirit is working and I'm encouraged in the spirit, I also know that as I read the scriptures, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. We're engaged in a spiritual fight. And this morning, for a few moments, I want you to open your heart as I talk about this subject. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. I know we're called to grow, but I'm convinced we're also called to fight. Now listen, I'm not a preacher that thinks there's a devil behind every bush. And I'm certainly not somebody that thinks the devil's doing, doing it all. Can I just break the news to you? The devil don't make you spend your credit cards. 
The devil don't make you go in debt. You know, there are some things that we got to take responsibility for. There are some things that we got to be good stewards of. There are some things that we are responsible for. Now, I'm not trying to give the devil credit. I just want you to have a biblical perspective. That sometimes when we find ourselves in a fight, sometimes we've created the drama. Sometimes our decisions have created the drama. Sometimes we're responsible for the drama in our life. And yet there are some times when we find ourselves in a spiritual battle, we are in that battle for a purpose. And it's not because we have done something, it's because we are destined to fight certain things. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there, but you can just briefly glance behind me in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a recount or a retelling of the story of the children of Israel, God's holy people. And I love what this scripture says. God is speaking here in Deuteronomy chapter number nine and verse number one. He's speaking to uh, Joshua and he says this, hear, O Israel, You are about to cross the Jordan today, and you need to go in and depossess it. Depossess the nations greater and mightier than you. All the cities and the fortified up to the heavens. In other words, God is saying to Joshua, I want you to take your people into this new territory, and I want you to depossess it. Dispossess this territory. In other words, I want you to evict the enemy out of this land. I want you to take the enemy out by force. The scriptures, if you read it very carefully, because some people think that God just wanted a mass murder in the Old Testament. But if you read the Old Testament over and over, you will find the word drive them out. Drive them out. God wanted to drive out other pagan nations. He wanted to drive out their value system. He wanted to drive out their behaviors. And God was trying to set up a redemptive nation called the children of Israel. And the first thing that Joshua had to do is he had to go into these other nations and evict them, drive them out. Now, I know that this scripture has an interpretation Because it happened in literal space and time. It really happened in history. But I want you to look at it in a spiritual sense. I want you to look at your life. And I want you to ask this a question. I want you to ask yourself a question. Is there things in my life that I need to evict? Is there things in my life that I need to drive out? Is there things in my life that I need to fight for? Is there things in my life that I need to say, not on my watch? I'm not going to let it happen here. I'm tired of it. It's time that I take authority over my house and the house that I live in and this house. I refuse to live that way anymore. I'm going to take possession of what God says is already mine. And I'm going to evict every devil out of my life that doesn't need to be there. I refuse to be a coward. I refuse to be a jellyfish man. I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. And I'm not going to be passive and jelly spined. I'm going to stand up with the authority that's been invested in me by Jesus and I'm going to drive out everything that doesn't need to be in my life anymore. You got to make up a you got to make up your decision. You got to make a decision that you need to evict some things out of your life. Is there some TV shows you need to evict? Is there some relationships you need to evict? Is there some attitudes you need to evict? Is there things that you are participating in that you need to evict? 
You got to make a decision that if you're going to live this life, it takes commitment, it takes dedication, and it takes perseverance. You just don't drift to godliness. You will not drift to godliness. You're not going to drift to holiness. No one just drifts to godliness and holiness. I would suggest this. People naturally drift away from the church. They naturally drift away from holiness. They naturally drift away from godliness. They drift away from it. And that is why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 10, that as you see this day approaching, let us make sure that we don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as some are You see, it's easy for us to drift away from the things of God. And that is why we have to be intentional about our relationship with God. We have to be intentional about our prayer life. We have to be intentional about our study. We have to be intentional about corporate worship. We have to be intentional about witnessing to someone because it just doesn't happen unless you're intentional about it. You just don't drift towards it. You drift away from it. You got to make a decision. That you got to evict some things out of your life. What about it, my friends? Is there some things that you need to drift, drift away from? And is there some things you need to drift to? I would suggest we need to drift towards godliness and holiness and righteousness and drift away from worldliness and selfishness and greed. What are the things in your life that you are evicting? You have to be intentional about it because it just won't happen. You see, I'm convinced. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, some things in life are just worth fighting for? Have you ever heard that statement before? Well, I couldn't agree more. There are some things in life that's worth fighting for. I think that your faith is worth fighting for. I think that your marriage is worth fighting for. I think that your, I think the church is worth fighting for. I think your kids are worth fighting for. I think there are some things that's worth fighting for. And some of us don't know how to participate in spiritual warfare because we're caught up in our own drama every day. And we think that the devil is attacking us when the devil's not attacking us. God is trying to mold us and make us and shape us and sanctify us. And we are misinterpreting the events around us as if it's the devil. And the devil has nothing to do with what God wants to do in your life. If God put his name on it, and if God said so, it's going to happen whether the devil likes it or not. I want to just break the news to you. God is bigger than the boogeyman. The devil is defeated. He is a defeated foe. He has no jurisdiction over you. He has no control over you. And through the cross of Jesus, you are made free. So you have to be intentional about your relationship with the Lord. You have to be, and there are some things that you got to fight for. You see, I've heard all kinds of sermons. I've heard people say, well, if you want to fight for it, then you got to pray harder. I've heard people say, well, if you're going to fight for it, then you got to follow these steps. If you're going to fight for it, then you need to give a special offering. You need to read more. You need to read this book and attend this class. All of those things are good in its context. But what does it mean to fight? Boy, I've been in a lot of church services. You know, I've been in services where we marched around the room seven times and declared victory. I still went home depressed. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just, but that doesn't mean I'm fighting appropriately. 
It doesn't mean that I'm fighting right. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to fight? What does it mean that I'm fighting for my family? What does it mean that I'm fighting for my marriage? What am I fighting for my faith? How does, what does that mean? What does, what is the implication of me fighting? What does that entail? Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Now, certainly I don't have all the answers, but I do love the word. And there are a few things in the scriptures that I want to make sure that you know and that you understand that if you're going to fight, if you're going to fight for something in your life, then you got to have these three things in line. I mean, you got to know these three things because if you don't know these three things, it's possible that you, it's possible that you can have interpretation and the misconception of things. We got to learn how to fight appropriately and we got to learn how uh, to use our weaponry. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Mark Twain said it like this and I quote, he said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. You see, I look across this building and you may not have a degree and that's okay. Education, I think that's wonderful, but maybe you don't have that but you do have experience and that's great. Maybe you don't have a Bible college degree and you don't understand everything about the scripture and that's all right, perfectly fine because you don't need a degree to learn how to fight. All you need is something on the inside of your spirit that says, I don't want to live this way. All you need is something on the inside of your heart that says, I know that there is something better and I know that I can't remain where I'm at. All you need on the inside of you is a fight. Is there anybody in the building with a fight on the inside of you? I heard one preacher say it like this. I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew, but I'm not going to let the devil come in my house and get on my lazy boy and eat my Cheetos. If I got to, I'll get up and run around this house and take my Bible and hit the devil between the eyes. But I've made a decision. He's not staying in my house. You got you to gotta make, make up your mind. Either you're going to live this thing or you're not going to live this thing. There's no gray area. Listen, the gray area makes it worse. It's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight that's in the dog. I'm looking across this building. And I see people here because they're fighting. I look over here, Sherry Laturner, stand up. She got saved two years ago. She come into this church and she keeps coming to the altar. You know what Sherry's doing? I'm fighting, Pastor. I'm fighting, Pastor. There are some things worth fighting for. And my faith is worth fighting for. Hope is worth fighting for. I look across the building and I see other people that's here today. You sicknesses and disease. You had to fight for your life. But you are here today. Because it's not the size of the dog that's in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. I fight. Well, you know, if you're going to fight right, there's some things you've got to get down, get it under your belt. Because if you don't get it under your belt, 
you might not fight right. And I believe that if you're going to fight, you got to fight right. Some people fight all their life, but they're not fighting right. They're exhausted, but they're exhausted over the wrong things. They're tired, but they're tired over the wrong things in life. I mean, if you're going to fight, let's fight for purpose. Let's fight for integrity. Let's fight for a meaningful life, not a busy life. If you're going to fight, don't fight for a busy and active life. Let's fight for a life of purpose with meaning behind it. Just the doesn't mean you're productive. How are you going to fight? First thing, I love, you know, when I was reading the Bible, I saw something. And it was like the spirit. It's like I get so excited that I just want to run around my house. But since I have a little puppy, she wants to run around the house with me. So she doesn't understand And I try not to wake up Tiffany in the bedroom, but I get so excited. And I got this revelation that I want to share with you about fighting. And it didn't make sense at first, but then when I looked at it again, it made perfect sense. And I'm sure other people have said this. I'm sure this is just, I found revelation in this. The very first thing that you got to know if you're going to fight is you have to know who you are. You got to know who you are. Now that's important. If you're on the battlefield You can't be a coward and you can't be a sissy. You know why the armor is in the front? Because there's no such thing as turning. When you go to battle, you have the armor on the front. There's no armor on the back. Because when you go to fight, you're not supposed to give up. You're not supposed to turn around. You're supposed to keep marching forward, even in the difficult times and even in the struggle. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. If you're going to fight, and if you're going to fight right, everybody say, I got to fight right. Come on, shout shout it again. I got to fight right. You know what, Pastor Brandon, that sounds like a great t-shirt. Fight right. Come on, you guys. I'm not so creative, but I think that was creative. Come on, give Pastor some love this morning. Somebody told me one time, all you need to do is just preach, pray, and prophesy, the three Ps. But you know, I like to be creative sometimes. Give me credit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fight right. First thing is you got to know who you are. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this scripture. If you're going to fight, you got to fight right. And the very first thing is you've got to know who you are. Now, I want you to see this scripture in John chapter number one, St. John chapter one. This is so good. John chapter number one, and I want you to see what John the Baptist says about himself. John chapter number one, and if we're there, John chapter number one, verse number 19. Now, this is the testimony of John. Now, pay attention. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. And they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
as the prophet Isaiah said. Listen, church, if you're going to fight right, if you're going to fight in this spiritual battle, number one, you got to know who you are. And one of the greatest examples of this is found in this narrative I just read to you. John the Baptist is probably one of the greatest men ever born to a woman besides Jesus. He was a great man of God and a great prophet. And here is a great man, a great man of God. He makes a declaration of himself and he also tells us who he is not. The very first thing I want you to see about John the Baptist is he, he knew who he was not. John the Baptist said, I want you to look at this. He, verse number 20, John chapter 1, verse number 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So John the Baptist admitted who he was not. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. The second thing I want you to see is that John the Baptist admitted who he was. And the Bible says in verse number 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So what did John the Baptist tell us? John the Baptist told us, number one, that he was not the Christ. And number two, he was the one voice crying in the wilderness. You have to know who you are and you have to know who you are not. If you're going to fight right, you got to know who you are and you got to know who you're not. John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ, but I am the one crying in the wilderness. I'm a voice in the wilderness. And my friends, listen to Pastor Josh. If you're going to succeed in this spiritual battle, you have to make it very clear in your life who you are and who you are not. Or otherwise, you will be living a life that God has never called you to live. You will live a life that God has never called you to live. You've got to settle in yourself and settle in your spirit who you are and who you are not. And that's what I find a lot of in people. People think there are a whole lot of things when God has never called you to do it. And you live a life that's very busy, but you don't live a life that's productive. You don't live a life that's full of meaning. You don't live a life that's full of purpose because you're trying to live a life that you were never called to live. You got to find out who you are and you got to find out who you are not. Every one of you is called for a purpose and every one of you God has his hand on and every one of you is called to be in the vineyard of the Lord. Every one of you have a calling and a place. Just because you may not preach behind this pulpit, it doesn't make you or it doesn't make me more special than you are. I just have a different role than you, but you are as special to God as I'm special to God. All of us have a purpose. All of us have a calling. And it doesn't matter whether you're preaching in the pulpit or teaching at the elementary school. All of you have a purpose in the plan of God and you need to celebrate it. Celebrate it if you're sweeping the floor. Celebrate it if you're teaching children. Celebrate it if you're sitting at the office pushing papers, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. You got to know what you're called to do. You got to know who you are. John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, but I am. I do know who I am. I'm a voice. crying in the wilderness. I am not that man, but I am a voice 
in the wilderness. I'm not Josh Pennington, but I am a voice in the Galena School District. I may not be the pastor, but I am a voice at the supermarket. I may not be you, but I am a voice on the streets. I may not be you, but I'm a voice at the Freeman Hospital. I'm a voice at Mercy Hospital. Wherever you go, you are a voice in someone's life. You got to know who you are and you got to know who you're not. Number two, the physical can't fix the physical if the problem originated in the spiritual. Isn't that what people try to do? They try to fix things in the physical and they keep going around the same mountain over and over and over when really the problem is not physical, the problem is spiritual. You got to, if you're dealing with the same problem over and over and over and there's no victory and you have exhausted all of your resources, you have to come to a conclusion that maybe the issue is not physical. Maybe the issue is spiritual. Maybe I'm trying to fix a physical problem with a physical solution. When really I need to change my perspective and know that if the problem still exists, maybe The problem originated in the spirit. The physical can't fix the physical if the problem originated in the spiritual. Can't happen. You see, money can never fix your problem. I'm sorry. Relationships will never fix your problem. It's really amazing to me, honestly. The more I pastor, the more I find people think just getting married and having having someone on their arm is going to fix their problems. It makes it worse. Because if there's drama in you, there's going to be drama in the relationship. No person could ever fix the internal messes of your life. I'm sorry. If you're looking for someone to come along and fix you, if my husband just loved me more, if my wife would just do this, if they would just do this, if somebody would just appreciate me, you've got to come to a place in your life where you are secure in who you are and you've got to be secure in who you're not. Because if not, you're going to be searching around the same mountain over and over, looking for someone to put salve on your wounds. The physical can't fix the physical if the problem originated spiritually. Remember the story in Luke chapter 13? Luke chapter 13. Remember the woman that was bent over? Luke chapter 13, verse number 10, very quickly. Luke chapter 13, verse number 10. And he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And behold, a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, was bent over and could no wise lift up herself. When she saw Jesus, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Do you see verse number 11? The Bible says that she had a spirit of infirmity. In other words, she had a physical evidence. She was bent over, but she had a spirit behind it. Now, I'm not saying that every person who is sick has a spirit. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting from this narrative that sometimes physical problems could originate in the spirit world. That you've got to discern What is the attack? Is the attack physical? Is the attack spiritual? Your problem 
you see, is not necessarily always originated in the, in the physical. Sometimes it originated in the spirit. You remember Daniel chapter 10, verse 7? The Bible says that Daniel prayed for 21 days. And the Bible says an angel came to him and said, Daniel, God has heard your prayer, but your prayer has been hindered by the king of Persia. Your prayer was hindered. In other words, he was doing something physical. He was hindered physically because there was a spiritual issue. And sometimes the physical can't fix the physical if the problem originated in the spirit. Lastly, and in closing this morning, I want to remind you that the devil only works by consent and cooperation. I want to remind you that the devil only works by consent and cooperation. In other words, he only works if you give him permission. One of the greatest things that's happening, especially in postmodern society, is cults and false religions. It's very, very prominent. As a matter of fact, in some places, it's very popular. And do you know why cults and false religions are very, very popular? And I want you to listen to Pastor Josh. One of the biggest reasons that it's very, very popular is because people have a desire to belong. And they will belong to something before they believe it. In Christianity, sometimes we're backwards. We want to believe something before we belong. I think both is very, very important. But that's why the church is designed as a family. Because we want people to belong to something then they will believe. Some people will believe before they belong, but both are very, very important. And that is why cults and false religions are on the rise because people want a family. Why is there so many gangs and young boys giving up their life to be a part of a group that's up to no good? It's not because these boys don't have a heart. It's because these boys come from sometimes a fatherless family. Some of these boys want a family. They want to be accepted. They want to be heard. And sometimes people will give up their faith in order to feel like they belong somewhere. And that's exactly how the devil works. He only works if we give him permission. And he works through deception. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11 that we should not be tricked by the wiles or the deceptive schemes of the enemy. That's what the enemy does. If the truth can set you free, then it must be a lie that binds you up. And the enemy binds us up by telling us lies over and over, and he bombards our minds by telling us lies. And if we believe that lie, then we are held in bondage to it. The devil only works by consent and cooperation. The devil has convinced people that he has power over them. When Jesus said, behold, I give unto you power that you would tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. For this purpose was the son of God manifested that he would destroy the works of the devil. He has given you power. He has given you authority. Amen. Can somebody say amen? How many would agree with me that it's time to fight for some things? I said, how many would agree it's time to fight for some things? How many said, I'm going to fight for my family? I'm going to fight for my faith. I'm going to fight for my kids. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm going to fight for it. 